This is day 133 of our daily Bible reading. We will be completing Ecclesiastes chapters 2 through 6. Lord Heavenly Father, as we go into this portion of Scripture, Lord, please help us to be aware of why we are reading this. What is the significance of this? Lord God, we understand that life is not meaningless. We understand that our efforts are not meaningless. We understand that everything that has happened in our lives is not pointless. But everything has a purpose, Lord, and you are about to reveal that to us today. Please help us to see that even the minute details of life and the decisions that we make make a big difference in how we honor and worship you. Please show us, Lord, how to properly honor you and put you in the center of all things, which gives us meaning. Please bless the reading of your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. I said to myself, come now, I will test you with pleasure, so enjoy yourself. And behold, it too was futility. I said of laughter, it is madness, and of pleasure, what does it accomplish? I explored with my mind how to stimulate my body with wine while my mind was guiding me wisely and how to take hold of folly until I could see what good there is for the sons of men to do under heaven the few years of their lives. I enlarged my works. I built houses for myself. I planted vineyards for myself. I made gardens and parks for myself, and I planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made ponds of water for myself from which to irrigate a forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves, and I had home-born slaves. Also, I possessed flocks and herds larger than all who preceded me in Jerusalem. Also, I collected for myself silver and gold and the treasures of kings and provinces. I provided for myself male and female singers and the pleasures of men, many concubines. Then I became great and increased them more than all who preceded me in Jerusalem. My wisdom also stood by me. All that my eyes desired, I did not refuse them. I did not withhold my heart from any pleasure, for my heart was pleased because of all of my labor, and this was my reward for all my labor. Thus I considered all my activities, which my hands had done, and the labor which I had exerted, and behold, all was vanity and striving after wind, and there was no profit under the sun. So I turned to consider wisdom, madness, and folly. For what will the man do who will come after the king except what has already been done? And I saw that wisdom excels folly as light excels darkness. The wise man's eyes are in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. And yet I know that one fate befalls them both. Then I said to myself, As is the fate of the fool, it will also befall me. Why then have I been extremely wise? So I said to myself, This too is vanity. For there is no lasting remembrance of the wise man as with the fool, inasmuch as in the coming days all will be forgotten. And how will the wise man and the fool alike die? 
So I hated life, for the work which had been done under the sun was grievous to me, because everything is futility and striving after wind. Thus I hated all the fruit of my labor for which I had labored under the sun, for I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be a wise man or a fool? Yet he will have control over all the fruit of my labor for which I have labored by acting wisely under the sun. This too is vanity. Therefore I completely despaired of all the fruit of my labor for which I had labored under the sun. When there is a man who has labored with wisdom, knowledge, and skill, then he gives his legacy to one who has not labored with them. This too is vanity and a great evil. For what does a man get in all his labor and in his striving with which he labors under the sun? Because all his days his task is painful and grievous. Even at night his mind does not rest. This too is vanity. There is nothing better for a man than to eat and drink and tell himself that his labor is good. This also I have seen that it is from the hand of God. For who can eat and who can have enjoyment without him? For to a person who is good in his sight, he has given wisdom and knowledge and joy, while to the sinner he has given the task of gathering and collecting so that he may give to one who is good in God's sight. This too is vanity and striving after wind. There is an appointed time for everything, and there is a time for every event under heaven. A time to give birth and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to uproot what is planted. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to throw stones and a time to gather stones. A time to embrace and a time to shun embracing. A time to search and a time to give up as lost. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear apart and a time to sew together. A time to be silent and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. What profit is there to the worker from that in which he toils? I have seen the task which God has given the sons of men with which to occupy themselves. He has made everything appropriate in its time. He has also set eternity in their heart, yet so that man will not find out the work which God has done from the beginning even to the end. I know that there is nothing better for them than to rejoice and to do good in one's lifetime. Moreover, that every man who eats and drinks sees good in all his labor. It is the gift of God. I know that everything God does will remain forever. There is nothing to add to it, and there is nothing to take from it. For God has so worked that men should fear him. That which is has been already, and that which will be has already been, for God seeks what has passed by. Furthermore, I have seen under the sun 
that in the place of justice there is wickedness, and in the place of righteousness there is wickedness. I said to myself, God will judge both the righteous man and the wicked man. For a time for every matter and for every deed is there. I said to myself concerning the sons of men, God has surely tested them in order for them to see that they are but beasts. For the fate of the sons of men and the fate of beasts is the same. As one dies, so dies the other. Indeed, they all have the same breath, and there is no advantage for man over beast, for all is vanity. All go to the same place. All came from the dust, and all returned to the dust. Who knows that the breath of man ascends upward, and the breath of the beast descends downward to the earth? I have seen that nothing is better than that man should be happy in his activities, for that is his lot. For who will bring him to see what will occur after him? Then I looked again at all the acts of oppression which were being done under the sun. And behold, I saw the tears of the oppressed, and that they had no one to comfort them. And on the side of the oppressors was power, but they had no one to comfort them. So I congratulated the dead, who are already dead, more than the living, who are still living. But better off than both of them is the one who has never existed, who has never seen the evil activity that is done under the sun. I have seen that every labor and every skill which is done is the result of rivalry between a man and his neighbor. This too is vanity and striving after wind. The fool folds his hands and consumes his own flesh. One hand full of rest is better than two fists full of labor and striving after wind. Then I looked again at vanity under the sun. There was a certain man without a dependent, having neither a son nor a brother. Yet there was no end to all his labor. Indeed, his eyes were not satisfied with riches, and he never asked, and from whom am I laboring and depriving myself of pleasure? This too is vanity and is a grievous task. Two are better than one because they will have a good return for their labor. For if either of them falls, the one will lift up his companion. But woe to the one who falls when there is not another to lift him up. Furthermore, if two lie down together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And if one can overpower him who is alone, two can resist him. A cord of three strands is not quickly torn apart. A poor yet wise lad is better than an old and foolish king who no longer knows how to receive instruction. For he has come out of prison to become king even though he was born poor in his kingdom. I have seen all the living under the sun throng to the side of the second lad, who replaces him. There is no end to all the people, to all who were before them, and even the ones who will come after will not be happy with him, for this too is vanity and striving after wind. 
Guard your steps as you go to the house of God, and draw near to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know they are doing evil. Do not be hasty in word or impulsive in thought to bring up a matter in the presence of God. For God is in heaven, and you are on the earth. Therefore, let your words be few. For the dream comes through much effort, and the voice of a fool through many words. When you make a vow to God, do not be late in paying it. For he takes no delight in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. Do not let your speech cause you to sin, and do not say in the presence of the messenger of God that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry on account of your voice and destroy the work of your hands? For in many dreams and in many words there is emptiness. Rather, fear God. If you see oppression of the poor and denial of justice and righteousness in the province, do not be shocked at the sight, for one official watches over another official, and there are higher officials over them. After all, a king who cultivates the field is an advantage to the land. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves abundance with its income. This, too, is vanity. When good things increase, those who consume them increase. So what is the advantage to their owners except to look on? The sleep of the working man is pleasant, whether he eats little or much, but the full stomach of the rich man does not allow him to sleep. There is a grievous evil which I have seen under the sun, riches being hoarded by their owner to his hurt. When those riches were lost through a bad investment, and he had fathered a son, then there was nothing to support him. As he had come naked from his mother's womb, so will he return as he came. He will take nothing from the fruit of his labor that he can carry in his hand. This also is a grievous evil. Exactly as a man is born, thus he will die. So what is the advantage to him who toils for the wind? Throughout his life, he also eats in darkness with great vexation, sickness, and anger. Here is what I have seen to be good and fitting, to eat, to drink, and enjoy oneself in all one's labor, in which he toils under the sun during the few years of his life which God has given him, for this is his reward. Furthermore, as for every man to whom God has given riches and wealth, he has also empowered him to eat from them and to receive his reward and rejoice in his labor. This is the gift of God. For he will not often consider the years of his life, because God keeps him occupied with the gladness of his heart. There is an evil which I have seen under the sun, and it is prevalent among men. A man to whom God has given riches and wealth and honor so that his soul lacks nothing of all that he desires. Yet God has not empowered him to eat from them, for a foreigner enjoys them. 
This is vanity and a severe affliction. If a man fathers a hundred children and lives many years, however many they be, but his soul is not satisfied with good things, and he does not even have a proper burial, then I say, better the miscarriage than he, for it comes in futility and goes into obscurity, and its name is covered in obscurity. It never sees the sun, and it never knows anything. It is better off than he. Even if the other man lives a thousand years, twice, and does not enjoy good things, do not all go to one place. All a man's labor is for his mouth, and yet the appetite is not satisfied. For what advantage does the wise man have over the fool? What advantage does the poor man have, knowing how to walk before the living? What the eyes see is better than what the soul desires. This too is futility and a striving after wind. Whatever exists has already been named, and it is known what man is, for he cannot dispute with him who is stronger than he is. For there are many words which increase futility. What then is the advantage to a man? For who knows what is good for a man during his lifetime, during the few years of his futile life? He will spend them like a shadow. For who can tell a man what will be after him under the sun? All right, so let's go ahead and explore what conclusions Solomon has reached today. And he has a very important outlook to things because he's trying in his wisdom, the gift that God gave him to have the most wisdom of all human beings that have ever lived, to try to figure out through human reason the many paradoxes of life. And he reaches the same conclusion in all of them. So let's talk about it very briefly. So we see in chapter 2, he begins by his pursuit of fulfillment, trying to use things of this world to satisfy him. We've all been there. And I think that if we really think hard about it, if we have not already, we have reached the same conclusion as he has. None of the things in this world, money, possessions, fame, sex, none of those things will satisfy. They are temporary and they are not going to satisfy you forever. He declares at the end of all that, that it was vanity. And you're going to see this repeated over and over throughout the Ecclesiastes. It is vanity and striving after wind, or in your translation is chasing the wind. The term itself, striving after wind, is just talking about an activity that is completely useless. You're trying to grab at the wind. You're not going to ever catch it. You can't see it. You can't put your hands on it, but you know it's there. So that's the analogy he uses to describe just how useless of an activity something is. So you're not going to get fulfillment from the things of this world. Not only that, but what he's saying in verse 12 is that all the kings that will come after him will probably not find a better solution to the problems of life. And so the cycle is just going to continue to repeat itself over and over and over. 
But he did realize in verse 13 that he saw that wisdom excels folly as light excels darkness. Light is always going to be superior to the darkness. And he is saying that there is an advantage of some kind to having wisdom rather than being a fool. However, at the end, they will all die. So no matter how wise you are, you are not going to be able to wisely escape death. So in your wisdom, you know God. That's what he's trying to show, is that in true wisdom, you have a knowledge and fear of the Lord. And so, yes, one fate does befall us on earth, but we end up in two different destinations. Something else that he also did not like was the fact that he's worked so hard to establish all these things for himself, and then he's just going to have to give it all to somebody else. At the end of all things, you're going to die. And everything that you have done, all the efforts you've made, are going to be left in somebody else's hands. And they're never going to have worked for it like you did. That's quite often the cycle of the Bible, isn't it? You see one generation stand up and fear the Lord, and they do amazing things. But then a generation or two after, they completely fall away, and they abandon the Lord again. And then the cycle continues. You see, just read the book of Judges again, if you're not familiar with what I'm talking about. You see that they fear the Lord, the Lord blesses them, and then in that prosperity, the next generation comes around, they abandon the Lord because they did not understand the lessons that were from their ancestors. And then they fall away from God, and they end up getting in trouble with God. And then they repent, and God brings them back, and then the cycle repeats over and over and over and over. So he reached the ultimate conclusion in verse 24, that there is nothing better for a man than to eat and drink and tell himself that his labor is good. This also I have seen that it is from the hand of God. That is the, on the face of the earth, the greatest achievement that we can have besides our relationship with the Lord himself, is to work hard, knowing it's all temporary, and just being happy with it, and being satisfied and content with what God has given you. And that should be the conclusion that we reach as well, because when we work hard, we can be satisfied that we gave our best, and we'll have no regrets. We'll sleep well, and we'll be able to worship the Lord in that fashion. But we can't look at God honestly if we're not honest with ourselves and we don't do our very best for him or for ourselves. And he talks about that idleness here and here as well. But verse 25 is the most important verse of that chapter. He talks about the best thing you can do is eat and drink and just enjoy what you have done. But we have to also understand how we reached that point that it was a gift of God. For who can eat and who can have enjoyment without him? He's making the point. God is the fulfillment of your joy. He is what causes you to have true joy and true satisfaction, and his grace is sufficient for us. When we come to chapter 3, he talks about how Life has an order of events, that there's an appointed time for everything. And this is all talking about the sovereignty of God, 
These things are all designed in the way God has designed the universe. And he summarizes this thought through verse 11. He has made everything appropriate in its time. But also, we know there's something beyond this world. A lot of people try to ignore it. They try to squelch it within themselves. But God has specifically also put eternity in their heart. But God does not let us know what's going to happen in the future. And that gives us the opportunity to trust God through the process. I think that was intentionally done. Because if we knew what was going to happen, then we would try to manipulate things without needing God. And we need to depend upon the Lord, because he is the one who is sovereign over all things. The second half of chapter 3 is referring to the future judgment. That there will be a time where we will all be judged according to what we have done. And this is not anything new in the Bible. This is just another place where it has been reinforced. Then we come to chapter 4. And chapter 4 is a chapter that is talking about the lot of the oppressed in the world. So he begins the first three verses by talking about how people who are oppressed are better off dead than they are alive. Because when you're dead, then you get to be with the Lord rather than suffer. Now, that's not saying you should be fatalist or you should be wishing for death or take your own life in order to get what you want. But what it's talking about is those who are oppressed, it, life is hard. But only we have peace through God. This world will not give it to us. And then in verses 4 through 6, we talk about two opposite sides of the coin. Someone who's very skilled, who is working like a workaholic. And then we have someone who doesn't do anything. But verse 6 seems to be kind of like a balance between the two. Have some work-life balance. And I think that's important because the Bible does talk about work-life balance. If you're working way too many hours and your life is completely off kilter, then there's something very wrong, especially if you have a family. Because if you're working crazy hours and you never see your family, you're not doing any sort of development in yourself or in your family, there's something wrong. Now, I think that verses 9 through 12 are talking about why we have fellowship with each other as a church and why we should have godly friends in our lives. Because we are not meant to be solo Christians. We are not meant to be isolated. Because demons will single us out and try to make us as ineffective as possible. And sometimes we get into our own heads as well, and we start to fail. But we need to have people who can hold us accountable, but also to lift us up, not only in prayer, but in the physical world. And you see this language as well, a cord of three strands is not quickly torn apart. It is good to have friends. It is good to have accountability partners. But I also remember what Jesus said, is that if two or three are gathered in my name, I am with them in their midst. So if two people are gathered in the name of Jesus, the third person that is there is Jesus himself. It reminds me of that. It may not be exactly what it's trying to portray, but it just reminded me of it. Chapter 5 is an important thought here about guarding against false worship. Read what verse 1 says. Guard your steps as you go to the house of God. 
literally pay attention, be careful when you're going to the house of God, and draw near to listen. Be ready to receive instruction. Be ready to give of yourself to the Lord at church, rather than offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they are doing evil. The sacrifice of fools is a useless activity. It is futile, as he says. It's striving after wind. Going through the motions is what he's talking about. Doing empty ritual. So we want to avoid doing that because it should be a personal interaction and an uplifting experience going to church. Because you're going to church to worship God. You're not going to glorify yourself or to recharge your spiritual batteries. You are there to worship the Lord only. And while we're there, we also fellowship with each other. And together, we grow as a body of believers. So be very careful not to have empty, false worship at church. The second half of chapter 5 is talking about the love of money and not being obsessed with riches. So that's, that's mostly what's talked about here. And then it concludes with the same kind of thing that whatever God has given you, enjoy it. That is his gift to you. And it helps you to not remember this in verse 20. For he will often not consider the years of his life because God keeps him occupied with the gladness of his heart. Very interesting language here. What he's trying to say is that we can overcome frustration over how empty life can feel sometimes by simply enjoying life and being occupied with the things that God gives us. And ultimately, worshiping him and loving him, that's where we should be spending our affections. Chapter 6 is kind of a continuation of the end of chapter 5, where it's talking about how useless riches really are, and how people get so obsessed with them, they will ultimately fail to satisfy you. And that's why he says in verse 3, that all this stuff you can have, all these different things, but yet you're not satisfied. It is better being a miscarriage than being in this level of futility. That's how serious he takes it. Being stillborn appears superior to an unsatisfied life. Wow. So then he concludes chapter 6 by saying that if we understand that God is sovereign, we are not in control of our destiny, and it is in God's hands, then we understand that God is in control, and we should not worry about anything, but simply work hard and enjoy life for what he's given us. This is the opposite of what fatalism is, which it views God as being either non-existent, right, or he's not involved, like that master clockmaker analogy I've used before. So we don't want to have that fatalistic attitude, because that's not how God operates. He is sovereign over your life, and he is intimately acquainted with your ways, and he is involved in all of your activities. Can you invite him into that? Because that's what he wants. He wants to be a part of it. And do not resist his attempts to give you wisdom. But indeed, we should do the opposite. As like what James talks about, ask of God. And do it without doubting, and he promises he will give you wisdom. 
that's all I have for today. Thank you for listening. I'm Ryan, and we'll see you next time. Take care, and God bless you.